As Brother Drew said, we're so thankful to be able to be in the house of the Lord again and to see your lovely faces and to be in your company in such a worthy endeavor as gathering for the worship of the God who made us, the God who made and created the heavens and the earth and all that therein is. Blessed be the name of the Lord this morning. I would like us to open our Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah for a few moments, and then we'll go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. But there's some principles in the Old Covenant, Old Testament Scripture, that we want to use as a foundation for what Christ is actually teaching with regard to His people seeking after Him. There's a question that is asked by the prophet in chapter 8, verse 19. He says, Should not a people seek unto their God? Now that's the title of our study this morning. It's a, it's a very probing, a very serious question that is asked not only of that generation, but of us this morning. Should not we be seekers of the living God? Now let us notice first the context around which this question is being presented. For time's sake, we'll start at verse 19. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that hath familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it hardly, bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth, and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Now these are the prophetic words of the prophet Isaiah. The name Isaiah actually means Yahweh, or Jehovah, is salvation. It's interesting in my mind and studies how that contextually Isaiah was raised up at a particular time in the history of Judah, which was the southern kingdom of the divided nation of Israel. We remember that there was a division after the death of Solomon between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and uh, the ten northern tribes became Israel, whose capital was in Samaria, and the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin became Judah and their capital was at Jerusalem. So there would be division between these two nations that were separated by virtue of, of God's providence, of, of his, his plan and his purpose. We find in the historical aspect of this uh, text, go back to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1, The very beginning tells us the context, the historical context, the vision of Isaiah or Isaiah, 
the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now here's the historical context that we're looking at this morning in, the, in reference to this question. Uzziah, as many of us already know, reigned 52 years. He was one of the longest ruling kings of Judah between 790 and 739 B.C. He, fought, he was followed by his son Jotham, who reigned from 750 to 731 B.C., during which time the Assyrian Empire began to expand. They began to conquer the nations around them, and they were very fierce and very ungodly and, and very idolatrous and a fierce, fierce uh, enemy of Israel. And they began to expand. And Ahaz, uh, mentioned here, is, is one that reigned in Judah. Um, and during his reign, Assyria actually captured Samaria in the year 722 B.C. Okay, here, here is the historical background to Isaiah's uh, prophecies. Now, let it be remembered that the book of Isaiah is divided into two parts. Like the Bible you're holding in your hands, it has 66 chapters. The Bible you're holding in your hands has 66 books. And, and it's divided into 39. Uh, the, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are chapters, uh, prophecies, through which Isaiah himself lived. These were things that actually occurred during the lifetime of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters. And then chapter 40 is a future time, about a century later, when the remnant of Judah would be brought back from Babylonian captivity. So Isaiah is, is a, an interesting character in the context of the history of Israel. And what I want to notice is that in this first part, when he's speaking to the people of Israel and Judah before judgment came, he was identifying the source of their sin, the source of their problem. They were seeking the answers to life in all the wrong places. They were seeking fulfillment. They were seeking uh, satisfaction. In all of the wrong places. And he asks the question. Should not the people that God has called by his name. Seek unto their own God. Why would any people. Seek after the God of another people. Or another nation. It's a reasonable question I believe. And one that the Bible specifically answers in several ways. Now, before we progress to the Sermon on the Mount, I want to go back to God's original design in Deuteronomy chapter 4, very quickly with this. But in Deuteronomy chapter 4, listen to what God said to the young nation of Israel that He had just delivered out of Egyptian bondage. Listen to what He said. He said, I've got a purpose for you. I've got a plan for you. I, I have a, a, a way in which you will... Uh, not only identify with me, but I'll be able to identify with you. And I'll be able to bless you. 
He says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 25, When thou shalt beget children and children's children. Aren't grandchildren wonderful? <laughs> and children's children. And ye shall have remained long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves. Now this is what God is saying is going to happen to the nation of Israel. He says you're going to corrupt yourselves and make graven images. This is idols, idol worship. And uh, or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. Listen, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land, whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed, abandoned. And uh, the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve other gods. Now watch this. Watch what is happening to Israel. They are going to change their identity. They're going to adopt the methods and the religions and the, and the uh, cults of the nations that God has purposed to drive out of the land of Canaan. He says, you're, you're going to be among them. And there shall ye serve gods, the works of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. These are idols, powerless, cannot satisfy, cannot help, cannot uh, deliver. But, verse 29, if from thence thou shalt seek, there's our word, if thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. This is God's plan for not only the nation of Israel, but for you and I. This morning, to seek Him through His Word, to seek Him through His worship, to seek Him through His service. I love this morning, we, my wife and I were uh, reading together uh, this week, and we came over to uh, the 119th Psalm of David, and uh, in uh, that wonderful psalm, and it's, it starts this way, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with their whole heart. When we're using the verb seek, we're not talking about a haphazard or part-time employee. We're talking about a word that emphasizes intentionality, that emphasizes a pursuit. This morning we are pursuing Christ. We are diligently and intentionally looking for Christ in, in the scriptures and in our lives and how that we might please him. And by the way, many other verses could be gone to in the Psalms of David that deal with this aspect of seeking the Lord. But for time's sake, we're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. 
Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Jesus is on the mount. He's giving the mandates of His kingdom, a kingdom that He said is not of this world, a kingdom that He said would be ultimately victorious over all the kingdoms of men, a kingdom that Jesus Christ would be king over forever and ever without end. And this is what he says in verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, there's our word. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for so this is the law and the prophets. Now in this passage, Jesus Christ, I believe, is is connecting us to that Noble question. Should not a people seek to their God? Should not we this morning, who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and the great sacrifice He made on our behalf on the tree of the cross, seek to find our fulfillment in Him above any other pursuit, above any other source of satisfaction? How often do we hear people in the business world relate how that, uh, uh, I I won't mention his name, but a certain billionaire was asked in an interview recently, uh, an interview, and they says, uh, Mr. So-and-so, how does it really feel to be a multi-billionaire? You know, you didn't start out that way. You started out as a poor man. In a poor family, and through industry and hard, a lot of hard work and, and so forth, uh, today one of the richest men in the country. How does that feel? And this was his, and I thought this was interesting. His explanation was this He said, It feels like a paper sack. A paper sack? He said, Yeah. He says, It's a paper sack that you hold in your hand, and everybody sees the sack. And everybody wants the sack. And everybody wants to do whatever it takes to get the sack. But once you get the sack, you find it's full of nothing but air. That's an, and he's an agnostic. He, he's not a Christian man at all. But I thought that was an interesting uh, description of his whole life pursuit, his whole intentionality, his whole uh, seeking. At the end of his life, and he's near the end of his way, they asked him, what does all that mean? He said, it's nothing but emptiness. No satisfaction. 
vanity. Vanity of vanities. So when Jesus Christ is speaking to us about asking and seeking and knocking, if you notice the acronym there, A-S-K, that's a good way to remember Matthew 7, 7, A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. Ask and you'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now, this, this is uh, what we call the promise. There is no individual that from the heart seeks after a relationship with Christ or seeks after the forgiveness of God or seeks after peace with God in the heart which is is something that you can't buy or you can't find anywhere else in the world. You can't find that satisfaction anywhere else but the Lord Jesus Christ. You you see, Jesus is, is, is talking to us in the terms that we can understand as a redeemed people. He says, I want you who have been born of the Spirit of God, who, uh, whose eyes have been opened to see your frailty, whose hearts have been touched by the sovereign grace of a sovereign God, whose lives have been uh, imposed upon by the Holy Spirit of God to realize that it's your responsibility and mine to ask, to seek, and to knock. It's not something that God is going to do for you. God is not going to read your Bible for you. God is not going to do your praying for you. God is not going to uh, do your uh, submitting for you or your obedience for you. You are responsible to do that for yourselves. But as James said in John, uh, James chapter 4 verses 1 and 2, he says, you have not because why? Because God doesn't want you to have a fulfilled and joyful life? Because God doesn't have, want you to have a good time? Because God doesn't want you to um, uh, live a, a life of uh, pleasure and peace? Because God is some kind of a, a cruel taskmaster that rejoices over your suffering? Is that the view of God you might have this morning? Oh no, not, that's not a biblical view of God at all. The reason we have not these things is because we ask not. We seek not with our whole heart. We are not knocking upon the door of God's world in order to uh, make a difference in our own. Now that's just the truth. Now that, that's not very popular preaching these days, but I'm telling you, that's the truth. Don't sit there and blame God for something missing in your life that you haven't even asked Him for. I know I'm speaking from experience here. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm speaking of personal experience. This applies to me just as much as it does to you. Now listen to this promise. He says, I want you to ask, I want you to seek, and I want you to knock. This in the Greek language is in the present imperative tense. And it means, seriously, it means to keep on asking. Uh, You could put a continuum there, to continue to ask. In other words, it could be read this way. Keep on asking, and it shall be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus is making a, a, he's calling us to a higher plateau 
He's calling us to a greater sense of purpose. He's calling us to keep asking with purpose, seeking with passion, and knocking with persistence. And he relates it to how we are to do so. We are to ask to seek and to knock uh, as God being our Heavenly Father. Now listen closely to me here. I realize that all fathers aren't good. Now that's just putting it plain. All fathers have not uh, been the, the men that, that we should be. And I don't know any fathers that hasn't made mistakes in their life. That they wish they could redo, especially their firstborn. That's where I have most of my regrets. But I, I, I can tell you this, uh, through many years of pastoral ministry, there are some men and women that when they talk about their fathers, it's with a great deal of regret and bitterness. Because they just wasn't a good father. But I want to tell you about a father that will never fail you. I I want to tell you about a father that cares about you even before you even cared about him. A father that the Bible says chose his people in covenant love before time ever began. This is the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the one that Peter was referring to in 1 Peter 5 verse 7 when he said, Our Heavenly Father cares for you. We we need to cast all our cares upon Him for He cares for you. He, He is the one that is always going to be there. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to make the mistakes that you make with your own. He's not going to do that. He says, he says uh, your heavenly Father is going to give you good things as you seek Him, as you ask Him, as you knock on the door of prayer. You knock. But see, we're not asking Him and seeking Him and knocking on the door of prayer in order for us to get what we want. But it is to conform our wants to His wants. Does that make sense? See, some people believe that prayer is simply a tool that we use uh, with God like He's our genie. You know, we use, the, we use prayer like a, a bottle and say, God, come out of this bottle for just a minute. Give me what I want. Give me my three wishes. And then please get back in the bottle until next time. Now, honestly, that's the way a lot of us treat, treat the Lord. <laughs> but that's not the God of the Bible, friends. That, that's not the true God. The true God is not a genie that gives us everything that he want, uh, we want. The true God is calling us to conform our wants to his. To verify to us 
what His will is in our lives. And, and what we ask, and we'll find out in a few minutes, a few verses of Scripture that detail this, when we are asking and seeking God what His will and intention is. And then what happens, somebody says, well, you know, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, why even pray? Because God's already got it worked out. He's already going to do what He wants to do. Why would you even uh, call upon His name? Why would you pray to a God who rules in sovereignty? I'll tell you why. It's not to change His will. It's not to change His mind. But it is to affect my will and my mind to conform to His And did you know that Jesus Christ showed us that example in the garden? Remember, he was in the Garden of Eden. uh, Garden of Eden. He was in. He was in the Garden of Eden too. But but the Garden of Gethsemane is what I'm talking about. The Garden of Gethsemane. Notice what Jesus, the man, said: "Not my will, but Thy will be done." Isn't that marvelous? What a great example! Not my will, Father, but I want my will to be Your will. Thy will be done. So when we're doing this diligent pursuing of God's will in our life, whether that's in respect to our life mate, whether that's in respect to the way we raise our children, if that's in respect to my job, do you think it's silly? Do you you think it's unnecessary for us to say, well, uh, Lord, should I take this job? Or is this something I need to pass on? Um, Lord, should I go to this college? Do you think that's silly? Well, this college will give me a scholarship. This one will give me a scholarship. Surely that's your will, Lord. Not always. Not always. See, it's foolish for us not to seek God in every decision that we make. You see, brothers and sisters, Christ is giving us the platform. And He's calling us to that question. Should not we seek God's will? Should not we who know the Lord seek what He wants for our life? Whether it be the mate, whether it be the school, whether it be the job, whether it be uh, this or that. I believe every day should be directed toward His will. Lord, what would you have me do today? This is where I want to live. I, I'm not concerned about uh, I'm not concerned about 20 years from now. I'm concerned about living each day for that day. Lord, what would you have me do today? And give me the strength to fulfill that. If you're taking notes, this is the promise of God as our Father. Under the old covenant, they would call him God. They would call him. Um, Lord, they would call Him by many different names, but they didn't call Him Father. Jesus Christ brought that facet of God to us. Did you know that there's a distinction between Christianity, the, the religion of Christ, and all other religions? All other religions. All the other religions never call God Father. They believe that God is impersonal. And detached from the life of individuals in the world. Did you know that? 
Just study the religions of the world and you'll find that they're missing that aspect, that relationship. Jesus Christ, when He rose from the dead, and remember He's spoken to Mary, and He says, Mary, I want you to go tell the disciples that I have risen from the, uh, the grave and I ascend to uh, my God and your God. I ascend to my Father and your Father. Don't you realize that speaks of reconciliation and He's describing that wonderful uh, relationship that we have with God as our Father. We may not have an earthly father this morning. He might be gone. He might have died. He might have abandoned the home. Who knows? But we have uh, in Christ Jesus an eternal father. And he cares for you. He cares for you. I want to look at just one verse real quick. First uh, John. First John chapter 1. Watch this. I love this. And by the way, all the references that I give you this morning are going to come from 1 John. Okay? In 1 John, I want you to notice this, please, with me. Uh, In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, listen to what the aged John is saying about Christ. Remember, John's in his 90s. He's he's the last living apostle, and he's he's, uh, uh, suffered a lot. For the cause of the kingdom of Christ. But this is what he says. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. He's an eyewitness. Which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested. And we have seen it. And bear witness. And show unto you that eternal life. Which was with the Father. I want you to underline that. With the Father and was manifested unto us. He's magnifying the relationship that he has with God the Father because of his position in Christ the Son. Isn't that marvelous? When we're asking, seeking, knocking, what are we doing? With with intentionality, we're coming to God as our Father. Not only as our Father, but secondly, as obedient sons. As obedient sons. Notice 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, please. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask... We receive of Him because we keep His commandments. Here's obedience. We keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. How do I know what pleases God this morning? How do I know that? How how do I know what's acceptable to Him? What what is His plan for me? What, What is His purpose for my life? It's through His Word. It's through what He has given us to read and to study. And He says, if our heart condemn us not, what is He talking about there? He's telling us the reality that if I'm walking in a manner, listen carefully, if I'm walking in a manner that is contrary to God's nature, contrary to God's law, contrary to what is actually true, the standard of righteousness. If I'm walking contrary to that, I can't expect God to 
have communion and fellowship with me. Now again, this is very unpopular stuff. But I'm going to tell you what an old Puritan said in the 1600s, and it's still true today. He said, I cannot be one with my Savior until me and my sinfulness are two. What he was saying is, I can't live my life in a way of sinfulness and expect to have fellowship with Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about doing good works in order to be with Christ or uh, go to heaven, uh, work my way to heaven, you know. He's not describing that. What he's saying is, if I'm living my life in a way that's contrary to the revealed Word of God, the revealed truth of God, I'm walking in darkness. I'm no different. I'm no different than the idolater walking in the darkness of ignorance. You see, I've asked this question many times in the past because I've wondered about it. Going to many nations. God has blessed me to go to many different countries where they don't even have Bibles. And I come back home and I go into the homes of our people and I see a Bible on every shelf, in every room, on every table. And yet they don't read it. And my question is, what's the difference between a people that don't have a Bible to read and a people that have a Bible to read and don't read it? What's the difference between the two? They're both going to walk in darkness. So what the Bible is calling us to is to seek our God in an intentional way through His Word. To realize that God is our Father and that we are called to walk in a way where we preserve fellowship with Him, a way of righteousness, a way of obedience. We have to be motivated by the right motives. We have to be motivated by the right motives. When I ask God to bless something or bless me, it has to be from a a standpoint of what will bring Him glory. If what I am asking for will not glorify the name of the Lord, then I should not want it. Whatever it is. It could be that billion dollars. Of course, I've never asked the Lord to give me a billion dollars. I've just asked Him to give us a few more wealthy members in the church. That's all. That's all I've I've, I've, I've asked But brothers and sisters, when, when, when we're talking about right motives, you know, I mentioned a moment ago, James chapter, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but I, I mentioned a moment ago over in the book of James when he's describing the significance and importance of prayer. You know, he, he says something that always sticks me. He said, uh, he said, ye lust and have not, and ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. And he's talking to a Christian community? He says, you're fighting, you're, you're having conflict with each other, you have not, because you ask not, I mentioned that, but what's the next verse? In verse 3, he says, you ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you might consume it upon your own lusts. You're missing God's whole point, because you're so interested in what you want. See, this morning, we need to, we, we need to make a commitment in our own heart. In our own soul, this morning, right now, that Lord, I'm through asking for what I want. Because what I'm asking you 
is that you give me what you want and help me to be satisfied with that. We often quote Psalm 23, verse 1, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? What? I shall not want. I love what the old uh, black uh, preacher I was a friend with in South Georgia, uh, we had a lot of fellowship with each other, and he put it this way. And I'll never forget it. He, he preached on the 23rd Psalm one time in our church, and he says, what that means is if I don't have it, God knows I don't need it. I never had thought about it like that. If I don't have it, that means God, I, God knows I don't need it. See, all of the asking and the seeking and the knocking that we have at the throne of God needs to be based upon what motivates praise and worship for Him. I'm going to praise God for what I have and I'm going to even praise Him for what I don't have. I'm going to praise God for what He does in spite of the fact that I wish He would do something else over here. You see? It changes my whole perspective on life. God, you're in charge, you're in control, and I'm not going to worry about it. One time uh, 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 an old preacher was having trouble with uh, insomnia. He was so overcome with worry and concern about the church that it, it affected him. He, he couldn't hardly go to sleep at night. He'd just wake up all night worried and sweating and, and, and crying and all kinds of things. He was, he was about at the end of his mental facilities. He was about to have a mental breakdown. And the Lord gave him a, a verse of Scripture. He got up and read the verse of Scripture uh, out of the Psalms of David that says, He that keepeth Israel neither sleeps nor slumber." He shut his Bible and he says, Well, Lord, since you're going to stay up all night anyway, I'm going to bed. He said, I've never had another trouble going to sleep at night. That's the attitude I think God wants us to have. We need to trust Him. We need to believe Him. We need to honestly purvey His Word. And when we ask, we're not asking to do something that's contrary to what He said, don't do. You understand? We're saying, I'm asking for your will to be done in my everyday life, in all of the choices that I make, in all of the deliberations that I'm involved in. I want you to be the captain. That's what it means to seek the face of God. We're seeking God, not man. We're seeking His will, not our will. We're, seek, we're motivated for His glory. Whatever will bring glory to your name, that's what I want, Lord. And then fourthly, Submission. Boy, this is a tough one, especially for southern folks. This is really tough. Submission. Submission. How do I have a submissive heart before the Lord? Again, go back to the language of 1 John chapter 5. This is the last verse we're going to refer to this morning. And this is tough ground. I realize this is not popular message. I realize that. But it's God's word to us this morning. Listen to what John closes with in 1 John chapter 5, back up to verse 11. And this is the record, he writes. In other words, this is the truth. This is the light that you've been seeking. This is the answer. And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. 
Somebody says, well, I don't think it makes any difference who you believe in to save you. Did you know that's not true, brothers and sisters? Do you understand that that is unbiblical? That is, that's darkness. Jesus Christ himself said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. John is, 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 is uh, uh, embellishing that uh, principle. He says, <clears throat> this is the record that God hath given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. He that hath the Son, listen, listen, listen. He that hath the Son hath life. Can I put it this way? He that hath the Son hath satisfaction. He that hath the Son has peace. He that hath the Son has the Father also. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. These things have I written unto you, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that ye believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Can I ask you a very pointed and and a very serious question this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you know Him? Are you seeking Him? See, the question is, should not a people seek to their God? Who is your God? Well, if your God is yourself, you're going to serve yourself. If your God is the world, you're going to serve the world. You see what I'm saying? But if your God is Jesus Christ, you're going to be seeking and serving Him above all other pursuits. That's what He's saying here. Now watch this. Watch, this. watch how this connects. And this is the confidence. Listen to that word. Confidence. Here, we're talking about divine assurance. This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we, we who, we who, we who, we who believe in Jesus Christ, we who trust Him as Lord and Savior, we who, we who trust Him to govern and guide all of our choices in life. We, we have confidence. We have assurance that if we ask, you following me? If we ask anything according to His will. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is not here for you. You are here for Him. See how that changes that perspective totally? And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. You know what that's saying? It's saying this. If I am 
praying that God's will will be done in my life and in the life of those I love and in, in the life of the church, in the life of the nation, in the life of, of people that I know. If I'm trusting God to work out His will in that life, I'm going to be praying according to that will. I'm going to be saying, Lord, don't give me anything that will not bring glory to Your name. Don't bring anybody into my life that I can't share Your good news with. I believe that when, when people uh, begin to love each other and care about each other and, and wonder about a, a life mate uh, with each other, is this God's will or not? I think there's uh, at the heart of that question is this. Is my relationship with this young man or this young lady, is my relationship pleasing to the Lord? And if it's not pleasing to the Lord, then either make it pleasing to the Lord or stop it. Because you know why? Because I want God's will, not mine. See how that affects my choices? Can I ask you a question? Are you seeking after your God? Should you? Should you not? Should we who know the truth of the Scripture, we have the Bibles in our own, our own language. Most of the world we live in in can't even read the Bible in their own language. A lot of the Bibles that we give in other countries are in English. They have to have a translator to read the Bibles that we give them. Of course, uh, in recent years, we've been blessed to have translators, and, and a lot of Bibles are now available in many languages. Thank the Lord for that. But what I'm trying to get around to is we are not, uh, we are not taking advantage of the opportunities that we have been given. Can we seek God? I want to close with this question. Can we? Can we seek Him this morning through prayer? Can we seek Him this morning through worship? Can we seek Him this morning through uh, His Word? And can we, as Christ has taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, submit to His will? acquiesce to His pleasure and in thanksgiving rejoice in His saving grace. Thank you for your good attention. God bless you.